Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. And my name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. Well, we hope everybody is out there enjoying Oathbringer, which released last week on November 14th. What a joyous day! It was a beautiful day. Oathbringer Day should henceforth be celebrated for all people. (laughs) Until the next book comes out. And then we should just celebrate that one. Superseded, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I like that idea of just cascading Cosmere <laughs> holidays that we keep taking off uh, to, to read more Sanderson. But the book is out. Everybody knows this. We got some things to say about Oathbringer, but we are going to hold off on all Oathbringer spoilers in this episode, obviously in all our previous episodes, and for a couple more episodes. We want to give people an opportunity, a chance to read, ourselves included, with no additional spoilers. Yeah, definitely. Just to give everyone a chance to read, catch up. I know some countries, it didn't come out on Tuesday, it didn't even come out till Friday. No worries if you haven't read Oathbringer yet, we're going to hold off on that. If you're like totally dying for Oathbringer discussion, uh, we will definitely be doing probably a series of episodes about Oathbringer uh, coming up in the future. So it's coming, don't worry, hang in there a little bit longer. Absolutely. We're thinking about uh, maybe December, in the middle of December, shooting for like a month after Oathbringer having an Oathbringer based episode and that will be maybe one two three ten episodes just on Oathbringer we don't know (laughs) but we're gonna hold off on all Oathbringer spoilers until we get to that breakdown episode of Oathbringer and then after that we'll just consider everything normal and we'll move on uh, from then but you have about a month to read Oathbringer Uh, And we just wanted to say that up front, as well as kind of introduce a new part of the show, or at least a way that we're going to start a lot of the shows, because we're getting a lot of fan feedback uh, on the Reddit, on Twitter, on Facebook. We have, you know, all the normal social media stuff, Cosmere Convo, find us, follow us, all the goodness. But people are talking. We're, We're starting the conversations, and we're liking it, and we want to begin each episode with some fan feedback comments possible theories starting with something from the facebook that uh, brooke had go ahead take that away yeah so i wanted to make a quick correction um last episode in our mythology on rashar uh i had made some incorrect statements regarding the planets in the rasharan system So, just some quick little corrections. Um, Ashen, one of the planets in the Rasharan system within that habitable zone, uh, it does actually have humans living on it. I had said that there were only Spren living there. There's actually not Spren living there, but there are people who are living in floating cities uh, on Ashen. Um, Also, I misspoke when I said it was the site of an exodus. Uh, what I meant to say was it was the site of a cataclysm of some kind, so a little bit more broad there. 
Um, the other planet in the Rasharan system, Braze slash Damnation, does, however, have Spren living on it. And that is all cited in Arcanum Unbounded, so that is 100% verified. And I think everything else we said regarding the mythology aspects about how the Voran teachings is that mankind was fighting, pushed out, is probably still connected to that cataclysm on Yeah, Ashen. I think so too. Everything else we said is totally good. Just a slight correction about terminology. Not quite yeah. exodus, but cataclysm. Totally awesome. Slightly different, yeah. So that's a small little bit of some the fan feedback that we got. And we kind of want to make this more of a normal part of the show. So reach out to us on Twitter, on Facebook, on the Reddit. We can chat about all the good stuff. And we're also thinking about making a fan theory episode, possibly for number 10, just because it's, you know, so important and significant. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll keep you up to date about that as well. Yeah, but keep definitely keep reaching out to us on Reddit and Facebook and Twitter. It's obviously we love the Cosmere and we love talking about it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, let's keep having those conversations. Thank you so much to everyone who's already written in and communicated with us. Absolutely. And on that note, we have really a continuation of last week's episode, which in and of itself was a two-parter. The mythology on Rashar ended up being pretty long, yeah. and we, uh, we decided to split that into two, gave you a little <laughs> double dose on Oathbringer Day, and we are now going to be talking about magic on Rashar. Trying to keep it to one episode. Yeah. Keeping it tight. I really tried to cut down on the notes for this episode, so. <laughs> we have an infinite amount of things that we once again could talk about. Yeah, and I'm sure we will again coming up on our Oathbringer podcasts. Um, we'll probably talk about this a lot more in detail. So if you're dying for that really in-depth stuff, just Hold on, bear with us a little bit. <laughs> this is going to be an overview episode yes, exactly. on all the different types of magic on Rashar. And we're going to start with the blades. A couple of different types of blades. Yeah. They're famous, they're powerful, they're magnificent. We have three different types the shard blades, which is what everybody's most familiar with. Mm hmm. We have the Honor Blades, introduced with the Assassin in white, and we have the Dawn Shards. The Dawn Shards we know the least about. They seem to be very similar types. I feel like, especially when you just read Way of Kings, the differences are not really clear. They kind of all seem the same. So I know it was really helpful for me to lay them out and really look at what the differences between them are. And that's what we're going to do right now. Let's look at the differences between these different blades on Rashar. Starting with everyone's favorite, most common, most often seen, the shard blades. And we should say that there are sort of two different categories of shard blades. The ones we see most often, especially in Way of Kings, are the dead shard blades, right, that have been left behind by previous Knights Radiant. And then we go on to find that there are live shard blades that are, you know, made from sill and pattern. Yeah, and that is what we are going to kind of tease out, the little differences between 
uh, these different these different aspects of, of magical blades. Now, the physical description of shard blades always fits a similar uh, pattern, which is that they are much, much larger than a normal sword. Yeah, I think they're all described as being about six feet long. Exactly, which even a, a long sword or, or a blade that's meant to be used with two hands in the normal human world is way, way, way longer than most of the swords that uh, we're going to be seeing here on Earth. And that's because of the second physical description that is always true about shard blades, and that's that they are unnaturally light for their size. Yeah, totally. So we have a, like an overlong blade, uh, and it's incredibly light, which gives the wielder the ability to really use the blade without the normal physical strain uh, that would be you would expect with something that was so massive and terrifying. Uh, and they often have descriptions of people, whether it's Kaladin for the first time picking up or members of Bridge Four, where they're shocked by the lightness of oh, the blade yeah. itself. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the characteristics of the first kind of shard blade that we see, the dead ones. Mm -hmm. um, so we know that they're very large. Um, they take 10 heartbeats for the wielder to summon, uh, and it does vary depending on how quickly your heart is beating, which I think is really interesting. In the first Way of Kings and in Words of Radiance, we see this both being remarked on by people like Dalinar and be used by different people. If you are afraid, your heart is beating faster, if you're in the middle of battle, your shard blade is going to be summoned quicker. And from a soldier's perspective, that's always seen as uh, kind of beneficial because when you're in the middle of a fight, you want that blade uh, as quick as possible. But at the same time, there are moments in both of those first books of the Stormlight Archive where the 10 heartbeats is like a... It's not really a penalty because you get a shard blade at the end of it, but, yeah. but it's definitely a delay when right. you could otherwise want that blade instantaneously. Well, and it's a tactic, right? Like, if you smack somebody's blade arm and cause them to drop their blade, here's another characteristic of the blades, it disappears. Once that wielder stops touching it, it, it disappears. It goes back into mist they is how they describe it and yeah. then you have to wait another 10 heartbeats for it to appear back in your hand again which gives your opponent an advantage they have 10 heartbeats where you are less defended now just to be clear with the description that's given in the books you said mist and i know you're just speaking off the cuff it is described more like smoke though i don't want to confuse people who are i mean i think it is described as mist smoke. maybe not all the time smoke it's smoke. Really? Every single time? It's smoke. You remember right every single every time? Every time, guys. Every time, it's smoke. No. I, <laughs> In all, like, 3,000 pages. Every single thing that's mentioned from a shard blade says it smoked. No, I have no idea. It could be anything. I just want to draw the distinction between the mist of Mistborn and that universe on Skadriel real aspect of the shard blade that needs to be discussed is the way that it is bonded to the wielder. Shard blades are 
going to have in the hilt uh, or in the pommel of the blade itself, you're going to have a gemstone. And that gemstone allows the blade to be bonded to its wielder. Now this process is cloaked in mystery from the people in Rashar. They see it as kind of a spiritual thing, happens, you know, in private. It's not something you, you talk about, but for a period well, and of... and I don't think they have very much information about it. They just know that you have to be in contact with the blade for, I believe it's about seven days. For one week, you have to have the blade on you at all times uh, while it is being bonded. So it's kind of a vulnerable period, right? If you haven't bonded the blade yet completely, someone could potentially steal it from you. And once you've bonded completely, the blade then kind of gets the the rest of its powers bestowed upon you, which is the ability to dismiss it and summon it at will. With concentration, the blades can stay in the physical realm without being connected to the wielder. But the normal aspect is that when the blade is dismissed, uh, it, it... evaporates into a smoke and this is going to be contradicted by the honor blades and as far as we know the dawn shards as well i want to say another quality of those shard blades that is mentioned quite often is when they are summoned when they appear they're often described as having condensation on them and as being, like, frosted and cold. Definitely. And it, I don't know what that's about, but I think it's really interesting. Something about... Because we, we know from our discussion on the three different realms, we know that something about shard blades is certainly connected to all three realms because they're able to pierce all three realms, to sever aspects of a person's True. spiritual self, um, cognitive, and physical self. But it acts differently than most other swords and it acts differently depending on the material that it is cutting through now with all of these blades they are going to be incredibly powerful because there is no material other than another blade or shard plate that can stop the blade itself So it can slice through rock, it can slice through uh, human flesh, obviously, or any type of uh, organic matter. Well, no, there's something about living, there's something about living flesh that I think the blade doesn't have enough of a physical presence to actually cut living flesh, because on the Shattered Plains, they have to kill the Great Shell first. Or the, the, what's it called? Yeah, um, the Chasm Fiend. Yeah, but it's the thing that they're The Chrysalis. In. The Chrysalis, thank you. They have to kill the Chrysalis first before they can uh, get into it with the Shard Blade. It has to be like dead flesh for be- the Shard Blade to be able to reach into it. And when you slice a human, the human actually stays in one piece. Like their arm is still connected to their body I think it just turns black and it's kind of like deadened uh, because the soul has been severed, but not really the body. Exactly. So organic matter, the blades do not 
cut through. They can go through it, but it's more like they, they smoke through it, they mist through it. Yes. Um, they do not actually sever the organic matter, but non-organic matter, stone or any other thing, the blades can slice right through. This is going to lead to some interesting aspects, like having to kill the great chasm fiends before you can chop into its uh, like heart and take out the valuable gem heart. But it's also going to allow for people, I believe Haber is one of them, uh, and Kaladin himself in, in Words of Radiance, uh, to be struck by shard blades or honor blades and lose the spiritual connection to that a limb Haber loses his legs Kaladin loses uh, a hand but he's radiant so you know radiant powers heal that and when that happens the spiritual aspect is severed but not the physical let's go on to the honor blades because these are the ones that are being explored more the deeper and deeper we get into the stormlight archive yeah, we still don't know too much about them, but the honor blades we suspect are kind of the original model for the shard blades that we see more often. Um, and honor blades give their wielder the power of surge binding without having to have the Nahel bond with a spren. Now we'll talk about the Nahel bond and surge binding powers this episode a yes. little bit later. But so the honor blades specifically are as powerful as a shard blade, do the same type of stuff, but also bestow surge-binding powers. Which is kind of scary when you think about it, because, so, like, Kaladin's bond with Syl, he has certain restrictions. Yes. Because of that bond. Like, he's held to a certain standard that enables him to have that great power. So there's a balance to it. With an honor blade, there's not that same check. Um, anyone can be given great power with essentially no, you know, restrictions or balance put on it, which is what we see with Zeth. And Zeth is the most obvious example of this in Words of Radiance and Way of Kings. He has powers that are similar to uh, Kaladin's. The one major difference is that he consumes exponentially more Stormlight than Kaladin does, but his, his surge-binding abilities are identical, and that's because he is carrying one of the Honor Blades. Now, Honor Blades are the original blades of the Heralds, correct? Yes. I'm pretty sure that that has been confirmed. The And it may even be the way that the Heralds became the Heralds in the first place, uh, as far as we know. For the moment, most of the Honor Blades are in Shinovar. Most of them, not all of them. Obviously, Yezrian's blade was in Zeth's possession, and now I believe is in Dalinar's. Males. Oh, Dalinar's, Dalinar's possession. possession. Kaladin you're right, you're right. retrieves that at the end and and gives it to uh, Dalinar at the ends of Words of Radiance and beginning of Oathbringer. If that's right where you're picking up the the honor blade is uh, being held by Dalinar and. Yeah, and then for the most part, the rest of them are going to be still in Shinovar. Honor Blades are also able to be set down in the physical world without being dismissed. Um, opposite to Shard Blades, 
when the wielder of an honor blade dies, the blade vanishes. With regular shard blades as we see them on Rashar, when the wielder dies, the shard blade appears in the physical realm and then can be taken and bonded by another person. And that's what we see on the day of the recreants is that many of the Knights Radiance, uh, well, they don't die, but they do um, dismiss their bond and plunge their blades into the ground at Feverstone Keep only to be taken up by the humans who are there in a, you know, fight to the death for those powerful artifacts. Yeah. So the those honor blades were left behind by the heralds when they abandoned the oath pact. Um, not sure how they ended up in Shinovar, but that may be something we learn coming up. Also want to call out some similarities with Nightblood, since we've already, last episode we talked about how Nightblood was created, or maybe not last episode, but the one before, um, created sort of in the image of Shardblades on Rishar. Uh, similar characteristics are going to be uh, Honor Blades, like Tyler said, running on more Stormlight, similar to the way that Nightblood runs on breath to sort of function. Now, do we have any type of confirmation yet about Nightblood specifically that Nightblood can use other types of investiture? We do not. We do not. I, I, it's I would a suspect fair speculation. he would be able to. Yeah, because this idea that Nightblood was modeled after the Honor Blades has been confirmed. And we know that Zahel, the swordsman, Vasher, his given name, uh, on... Nalthus. Nalthus had to have some type of connection or witness. Maybe he was a world hopper and viewed the shard blades, which obviously don't have any connection to breath, but have a lot of connection to stormlight. So there is an assumption, especially since Nightblood was given uh, by... Nalan. Nalan to Zeth at the end of Words of Radiance, there is an assumption that Nightblood will still be able to function with Stormlight as its investiture yeah. rather than breath. That's what I would assume. But we haven't seen that uh, yet. That's just kind yeah. of where we left things off. But then we also know that uh, the smoke, as we said, the smoke that shard blades emit, we have a word of Brandon that that is related to the smoke that Nightblood emits as well. I think that's why I was spe- being specific with About the word the smoke. smoke is yeah, because sure. of that word of Brandon. Let's go on to the Dawn Shards, the one we know the least about. The Dawn Shards seem to be kind of the, the next level up. If you have Dead Spren Shard Blades, you have the Honor Blades, you have the Dawn Shards. Let's go to a quote. Let's go to a quote from the epigraph of Way of Kings. Do you want to read this for us about the Dawn Shards? Yeah, sure. So this is from an epigraph at the beginning of an episode of Way of Kings. It's cited from the in-world poem of Ista. Quote, Taking the Dawn Shard, known to bind any creature, voidish or mortal, he crawled up the steps, crafted for heralds, Ten strides tall apiece towards the grand temple above. End quote. And I think what is the hint here in this poem specifically is that the Dawn Shards are known to be 
bound to any creature voidish or mortal. Yeah. So I think what might be the difference between a Dawn Shard and an Honor Blade is that Honor Blades or their children, uh-huh. the Shard Blades, can only be bound by mortals, mm-hmm. while the Dawn Shards can be bound by void creatures or mortals. That's my reading and yeah. the hints that are given in this poem. Well, I think it's interesting to the way that it's worded, where it's not worded as a bond between two things, but it's worded as the Dawn Shards can bind any creature, which in- implies more constriction, right? So I'm almost wondering if like, if they were able to find the Dawn Shards, would they be able to sort of, like, trap the Voidbringers some way? And I say this especially because in one of Delinar's visions, when he's talking to Tanavast, Tanavast says that he doesn't know how humanity is going to survive without the Dawn Shards. So that's a pretty good idea. Maybe the Dawn Shards were used by... Maybe by Tanavast? Tanavast? By the Shards themselves? Possibly. Or it was used by Tanavast or his champions to lock the Voidbringers Mm -hmm. away, to defeat the Voidbringers. So those Dawn Shards haven't appeared. I mean, we're we're still barely playing with the Shard Blades and Honor Blades. (laughs) So we we don't really have a lot on the Dawn Shards. But down the road, they they could become really, really powerful. Should we talk a little bit more about the alive shard blades and the differences? I think what we should mention about those alive spren blades yeah. is that for the Knights Radiant, they have the ability to summon a shard blade that is made out of their chosen spren. And they don't have to wait 10 heartbeats. Either. Basically, all of the restrictions that are placed on shard blades are not seen with the spren blades. So Kaladin's spren, Sill, can become a shard blade or any other weapon. He obviously favors the spear, but even uh, a small weapon, a knife, um, could Mm -hmm. be created theoretically from the spren. And this goes hand-in-hand with the way that we've seen Knight's Radiance portrayed, normally in Dalinar's flashbacks, in that the Knight's Radiance are able to do things with shard blades and their shard plate that the humans of Rashar currently cannot. Yeah. And in the first flashbacks, this is kind of your hint that maybe the humans don't know really what they're dealing with. Yeah. And then we keep seeing that evidence throughout the Stormlight Archive. But, for example, switching from the blades to the plate, uh, because the other you know key aspect of a, of a shard bearer is the shard plate. Yeah. The suit of armor, and there are a lot of great artistic... Uh, interpretations of this. You can check them out. Obviously, the books have drawings uh, of shard plates, so those are the the canon ones. Uh, But there are also, you know, just random fans like us who are more artistically gifted Mm -hmm. and uh, have created videos and and pictures and images and just really cool stuff. Cosplays. Yes, absolutely. 
uh, of shard plate and shard blades. So check those out. Just a quick throw out to the fans. Um, but shard plate is going to be the other key aspect. And Knight's Radiance in the past don't use shard plate or their blades like humans do today. Well, I think those tools just have different uh, restrictions and abilities than the ones we see on modern Derashar. I think there's something to be said for this idea of like copies of a copy of a copy. Like the Dawn Shards might be the OG. We don't really know. But like the Dawn Shards might be the OG. Uh And then the Heralds wanted something like the Dawn Shards. So the Heralds made the Honor Blades. And then the Knight's Radiance wanted something like the Honor Blade. So the <laughs> Knight's Radiance made Shard Blades. And then the humans wanted something like the living Shard Blades that the Knight's Radiance had. And it just keeps going down and down this circle. And even worse, like, we see in Words of Radiance and uh, Way of Kings that they're working on things they call half shards, which they're, like, trying to rebuild these great tools, but they don't know how, and so they're making these kind of, like, crappy... Fabrials that are not really the real thing. And we'll talk about the Fabrials later because that's an important part of the magic on Rishar. Yeah. It's not really magic. Like, it's better to call that technology. We think. Yeah, I think. The shard plates themselves are powered by Stormlight and they have, at least for the humans who wield them, Knight's Radiance in the past, a different story. But for the humans who wield the shard plates today, there's a limited amount of power that can be stored in a shard plate. and I mean, it seems to last for a long time, but it is finite. Yes, and the more damage you do to the shard plate, the quicker the stormlight is used. We do not know as much about the shard plate, and I know that there are people who are going to be out there screaming, just read Oathbringer, just read Oathbringer. <laughs> we get it, man, you've read Oathbringer. But... No spoilers for Oathbringer. So what we know about Shardplate, all of this is just coming... Through the end of Words of Radiance. That's where we're stopping, exactly. And we don't know if Shardplate is related to Spren in the same way that Shardblades are, dead or living. We have no connection to Spren so far. Yeah, because we haven't seen Kaladin or any of the other Surgebinders get Shardplate in some Spren way. (laughs) Exactly. So the Knights Radiant seem to be able to manifest both their blades and their plate. But humans have these dead spren blades, and they know they're dead spren blades, uh, and they have this shard plate, which is kind of something else. It's like a Fabriel and that is powered by Stormlight, and it doesn't necessarily have the same spiritual connection. It's yeah, because well. they can't dismiss it. Like, it doesn't go anywhere. When they take it off, it still sits there. And the only way that it's functional is if it has stormlight. Because yeah. it's so physically heavy, literally something that's more in the physical realm than in the cognitive or spiritual. Yeah. It's so heavy that it's inoperable unless you have shard, unless you have stormlight to power it. Yeah, so basically the the inside of the shard plate is covered in gemstones, and then those gemstones are infused with stormlight, and that's how it functions. It's also able to regenerate pieces of itself, which I thought was really interesting. If you, like, lose a a gauntlet on the battlefield, um, you'll take your shard plate home, and that gauntlet will regrow if you feed the suit of shard plate stormlight. 
Yeah, and it's actually able to do this to an incredible level. I believe the only thing that actually needs to remain from a shard plate suit is the um, kind of breastplate. The If you could imagine what I'm thinking of is like an Egyptian pharaoh. They'd always wear those things that were just kind of like <laughs> go over their shoulders and just come down to like the, the breast level. And that's pretty much all that's needed from the shard plate. So you could literally lose everything. I think everything. you can actually... No, I think you can regrow it from anything. Well, you could do the... You could do the reverse. For example, if there was only one boot. Yeah. You, but it would take longer. Yeah. The problem is that there is a dominant shard plate. So, for example, this was explained, I believe, in Way of Kings to kind of uh, introduce this power. If I had shard plate and i was fighting brook in a battle i lose my gauntlet little left hand glove brook picks it up she could try to regrow the rest of the suit from that gauntlet as long as i was feeding the main suit and that little breastplate uh that kind of goes over the shoulder as long as i have that and i'm feeding that that's the key aspect to have. My suit will outweigh hers. Eventually hers yeah, will die the bigger, completely. The bigger piece is definitely dominant. Yeah. So you can uh, see just you know how powerful this combination of shard plate and shard blade would be. And it's just the, the dominant military technology on Rashar currently in the Stormlight Archive. But let's move on to what is replacing shard plate as the dominant military technology and that is the surge binders the mm. returning to the world of rashar as an omen really of yeah. the scarier thing that's returning yeah knight's radiance were used by the heralds mm-hmm. as we kind of called them what lieutenants officers of the middle yeah, rank like an officer class yeah for the the heralds themselves to protect from desolations and so, as mentioned before, some of these Knights Radiance are kind of like mimicking their heralds. That's a fair way to maybe describe yeah. how the Knights Radiance behave in relation to their heralds and they adopt similar powers and whatnot. Well, I think like the heralds founded the Orders of Radiance, so they founded them on their guiding principles. Didn't we talk last week a little bit about the idea that Spren may have got involved in creating the Knights Radiance and then the Heralds came in and like turned it into an official organization. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I still kind of think might be true that I, the Spren were like, hmm, that looks cool. We could do that. Yeah. <laughs> so the the important aspect of the Knights Radiant is that it is a Spren bond. As far as we know, the Heralds don't need to bond with Spren to get any of their powers, but the Knights Radiance do. They need to perform, or they need to undergo, what's called the Nahel Bond. The Nahel Bond is between a mortal and a human, Kaladin and Syl, Shallan and Pattern. Each of the orders of Knights Radiant have a different ethnicity, of Spren? What are we going to call yeah, this? I mean, I don't think they have ethnicities. I don't they're, think so either. They're just like groups. Sure. I kind of like to think Types. of them as, yeah, like a type or they're kind of described as like noble houses, sort of. If you think of like Game of Thrones, like yeah. houses. <laughs> Lannisters and Targaryens, yeah. the cryptics and the honor Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So 
with the Nahelbon, with whatever Spren happens to choose to bond with a, a mortal, you are going to get the manifestation of surge binding powers. Now, these are the powers that many of our favorite characters have, and they're being explored and expanded upon. Brandon, obviously, a master, I might even go with the master, of interesting magic systems. This is what he's known for, and the surge binding is at the core of Stormlight Archive. We know that this bond is a symbiotic bond. It is aiding both the human and the spren. Yeah, they both get something from it. So humans obviously get surge binding. Um, spren get self-awareness. They get more of a physical presence. I think that's all we know so far in terms of benefit. Well, they. I just want to mention the idea about their memory coming mm. back. Basically, the way that I... Well, I think that goes along with self-awareness. But yeah, they have like more consciousness. Yes, more consciousness. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. Their consciousness is returning like they were in darkness without the Nahel Bond. Uh-huh. And then as they experience more with their their chosen human that the hell bond grows stronger their own awareness their own consciousness begins to develop more and more when the bond is strengthened uh, by the saying of the immortal words and the ideals of the knight's radiant that is when the spren can take form in those spren blades or the sill spear, uh, or whatever. Yeah, they whatever have to get to a certain power point. Level. Yes. Yeah. In order, and that at that point, that's when the person would become a knight's radiant. Yes. Yeah. Let's go into all of the different surges, all of the different powers of the knight's radiant. There are, of course. 10 <laughs> because of the the significance of that number in the Risharian system. We're just going to go through one by one, talk a little bit about the power itself, what it does, maybe a tiny bit of speculation because we haven't seen a lot of these powers in yeah. uh, action. So some we're going to know more about, some we're going to know less about. Brooke, do you want to take us away with the first one? Yeah, first surge is adhesion, which is described as the surge of pressure and vacuum. And this surge is seen in the orders of bondsmiths and windrunners. And so that's Kaladin and Dalinar, respectively, our, yes. our lead windrunner and bondsmith. Now, the way that this power is first seen is... Actually, with Syl. Syl's the first one that we see experiment with this pattern. Do we see her before Zeth? Oh, possibly Zeth, because he's he's yeah. going to like kill... No, we definitely see Zeth first. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. But, okay, so, yes, Zeth, he takes the Honor Blade role. But Syl, as a joke, when she's in her non-conscious state of being like a windspren, one of her favorite jokes is to make human stuff stick to each other. So as someone's walking, she'll stick their boot to the ground and they'll like kind of trip 
as they get, uh, you know, as their foot does not leave the ground as expected. Um, she'll just kind of stick a leaf onto someone's face and then run away and think it's hilarious. So that's really the first, obviously not first, that's the <laughs> way that the power manifests at the lowest level. It's literally taking two things, using a little bit of stormlight, sticking them together. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Now, so this is like, you know, when you suck the air out between two pieces of glass, suddenly you can't rip them apart. Excellent right? description. Yeah. So that's where it's coming from, that idea of like pressure and vacuum is allowing you to stick things together. Well, <laughs> and see, this, this is one of the great things about Brandon and the way that the powers develop, because originally you see this power used by both Zeth and Syl and eventually Kaladin, in this way, stick things together. You you take a sword and you stick it onto someone else's shield and now the guy can't fight. Um, it's simple. It's easy to understand. It's good introductory information to this power system. But then it starts to develop because the power is not sticky, sticky together stuff. <laughs> like, it's called adhesion, the power of pressure and vacuum. And that is a lot different than sticky, yeah, sticky together stuff. Definitely. <laughs> we see these powers develop and what is hinted at in Words of Radiance as Kaladin right now is the person, the Knight's Radiant, who has progressed the furthest in saying his ideals. So we would assume he's the most powerful Knight's Radiant that we have witnessed so far. And what Kaladin starts to do in his final battle with Zeth is much more fluidly or intuitively fight in the storm itself. And it is mentioned in that battle, and obviously there's a lot of stuff going on in that battle, but it's mentioned that Kaladin is kind of like splitting the wind around him, riding the wind itself which is different mm. from his other power. And so there is speculation that as Kaladin's power develops, we're going to start seeing more and more abilities come out regarding adhesion, where so far we've kind of seen simple adhesion and much more gravitation, which is his next one. Yeah, well, we could be getting to, and this is a great point to bring up, this idea of resonance, mm -hmm. which we have spoken about briefly. The idea that the contact point between two powers is kind of its own thing, that resonance point. I think that's a great way of describing it. That's what Brandon has called it. So it could be that we're seeing something like that as well, that that could be part of the resonance of the Windrunners as they have the surge of adhesion. And then let's go on to our next one, gravitation. All right, so the next surge is gravitation. Obviously the surge of gravity. Um, and Windrunners have access to this surge, as well as the Skybreakers. And what does this surge kind of give the ability? How does it manifest for those people? Um, essentially, it gives them the ability to fly, um, as well as manipulate the gravitational center of other things and people. So manifesting in things like the basic lashing and reverse lashings that we see. 
And how does one fly with gravity? Because it's not flying like Superman. That is a misnomer. Yeah. So explain yeah, that Yeah, absolutely. More. Great point. Um, they describe it more as falling. So, like, Kaladin would lash himself to sort of a vague point, let's just say, in the east. And then he would essentially fall towards the east. So it's really about switching the perspective of gravity yes the way that manifests by someone who is skilled is that they can change their focal point for gravity in numerous different ways simultaneously so for example i could lash myself directly up and then directly up would become down for me. And I would start falling up. Yeah, exactly. At normal speed. But then if I, you know, fell up into the sky and lashed myself back down to the ground while maintaining the lashing directly up, I would then stop. You kind of hover. Yeah, Yeah, I would hover. And I would have the appearance that I had flown into the sky and then was hovering there. Yeah. When in reality... You would have, like, equal gravitational centers to the top and the bottom of you. Exactly. And so... I wonder if that hurts. Do you think you're, like, getting... Like, yeah, like, pulled in Gravity doesn't hurt me. I would think that with multiple lashings, you could cause pain. Maybe it's kind of like how wax can, like, decrease his weight, sort of, and, like, become more weightless. Yeah. Right? If you're, like... I know, well, they definitely have quarter lashings where you become, oh, yeah. you have less weight and you can just walk around weighing less. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, someone uses that to like sneak around or something at one point. But maybe Zeth, that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, I think that if you were to use the surge, for example, on someone that was fixed, you know, chained or talking about adhesion, you had stuck them to the ground and then you use multiple lashings, which would compound the effect of gravity over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think, theoretically, you could, like, rip someone apart. Yeah, that's probably true. But, Ugh. yeah. I, th- <laughs> I think that the normal experience for a windrunner or a skybreaker is that they are going to experience a change in gravity that they get more and more used to. Obviously, we see Kaladin, like, falling down in the pits. Mm-hmm. And then we also see... I don't think Kaladin has done this, but we see it with Zeth. He's able to manipulate gravity for others as well. So he can lash other people in a specific direction. And that is used in his fighting style quite a yeah. bit. Of just, like, running through people, tapping them here and there, and they go flying in different directions. Again, we mentioned that there is that resonance point uh, between adhesion and gravitation. That is the full powers of the Windrunner class, right? So adhesion plus gravitation equals Windrunner and resonance point. have that point. little resonance point. Yeah, and we don't quite know how that manifests, but it's important to keep in mind. It's also been mentioned in Mistborn Era 2 where combining powers has a reson they don't call it this but it has a resonance point at well it kind of creates yeah. another effect than the individual powers would have by themselves yep let's go on to the next one 
So next we have division, uh, which is the surge of destruction and decay. Held by the Skybreakers and Dustbringers. Yeah, I always knew this was part of the Dustbringers, but I didn't realize it was also part of the Skybreakers. And I'm very interested to see how how they use that. Uh, we know that with the Surge of Division, the Surge Binder would be able to touch an object and cause it to burn or turn into dust or decay in some way. And they would also be able to uh, exercise control in this. So they would be able to like burn a specific pattern into a piece of wood. For example, the symbol of the Deathbringers or something like that. Yeah, sure. Or symbols of the Knight's Radiant. Like you could imagine this being used by the Knight's Radiant uh, to, you know, create works of art even, even though it's called oh. Destruction and Decay. But like That's true, that's true. Yeah, we see that in the human world all the time. Burnings and, and laser yeah. engravings and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I saw when I read that idea about them. Uh, having great control to like leave patterns behind um maybe we see that in some of the artwork of the cities you know many of the cities are talked about being incredibly old and we it might have been mentioned that like this stone engraving was incredibly uh intricate and beautiful and has been there since the beginning of time or even like you know how a lot of the really big cities are specifically protected from the storms and they're like in very convenient places that have you know geographical protection or like in a left car they have the i think they call them the wind blades just specifically a left car being the country or the the region and kolinar is the city itself thank you yes you're right so kolinar does have those wind blades like what if all of that was made by the dustbringers literally decaying parts of the stone yeah to carve out these like safe places for humans it is entirely possible. It's just something we don't know about. I know. Brooke has her figured exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So that's held by the Skybreakers and the Dustbringers. We've seen one Skybreaker, but he didn't have the abilities of a Skybreaker. We just know that Zeth became a Skybreaker. So that's what we know so far. Yeah, Nolan obviously has those powers, but we haven't really seen him use them. So let's go on to the Dustbringers' second power, which is Abrasion. What is abrasion? Friction. So the best example we have of this is going to be Lift from First Way of Kings, but also Edge Dancer, because she's an edge dancer. And essentially she's able to remove friction from her body. So it could be her whole body, it could be one part, uh, so that that part of her body doesn't really interact with the things around it she'll just be able to slip and slide on any surface yeah and in edge dancer which is also the name of her order the ability for lift to use abrasion does seem to be like her primary one it's hard to tell if there is a primary and a secondary or if the powers are equal? I think they're equal, but... When you see them manifest in order kind of way? Yeah, or I'm just thinking when you're learning anything, especially if you don't have a teacher, as these surge binders do not, mm-hmm. 
it's kind of hard to take it all on at once. So it seems like they're all just kind of picking one that maybe is just more comfortable for their specific personality or something like that. And kind of focusing on that. I'm wondering if Lyft would also be able to increase the friction so that she would like stick. We haven't seen her do that, but it seems like that would be possible, right? Yeah, so different than adhesion. Right. But... In, in a similar way, and we know, you know, from our own world, creating something that is frictionless, you know, everyone who took uh, physics, you got your, this all exists on a frictionless plane, so we can do the calculations <laughs> at the, your basic level, when in reality, nothing is frictionless, but lift has that ability, so we know that there could be a lot of development of these powers in a technological way, mm-hmm. if you had the ability here on Earth to make something frictionless or to create great friction, you would have great technical skills and you could do some incredible feats of engineering. You know, just the concept of what these powers look like at their their peak. zenith, yes, yeah. the, the, the peak of their power is really interesting and it's something that I constantly like stay up with and just yeah, think about like we have all baby surge binders and they're already it. so powerful exactly they're so powerful but they really <laughs> and they are. don't even know what they're doing they're baby surge binders <laughs> so let's talk about we kind of already went into you know how lift maybe has a dominant power her other power that we do see her use once in not an edge dancer right it's That's in, the, in the interlude yes yeah is the surge of progression which is the surge of healing, growth, and regrowth. So she's able to heal her friend um, and bring him back to life. Gox. Yes. Um, And then we also see an edge dancer. She's able to literally make plants grow. And this power of progression, that's the actual surge, is going to really be seen in its most basic way of healing. Lyft uses it in that way of like making plants grow, which is interesting, especially with Wendell too, how he kind of grows like a vine. Yes, but Wendell's also not like a normal edge dancer's friend. Exactly. And Lyft obviously doesn't interact with him. Yeah, exactly. Like a normal edge dancer. So, but this idea of healing does seem to be incredibly important. We've at, we've seen in flashbacks with Dalinar mm-hmm. that Knight's Radiance were able to kind of run around a battlefield it and heal people. It makes me think of, did you ever play that game in elementary school, like germ ball or something, where you threw balls across the court, and if you got hit with the ball, then you got the disease, but you had a doctor who got like, you, had you. to run through the ranks of people and, and like try not to get hit by the balls and they have this like wand that they would tap you with and heal you. That's always what I think of as the healer. <laughs> They're like, doctor, doctor, and the healer's like running through. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that seems like such a thing that a elementary school PE teacher would come up with. <laughs> like, uh, that's just the best example of what we do here in America for children. <laughs> it's just like, we're going to entertain you now with germ ball. <laughs> and all the kids go crazy because they think it's, you know, the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so progression 
is a surge shared by the Edge Dancers and the Truth Watchers. Mm-hmm. And we have a Truth Watcher in Renarn, but very baby level. He's literally just yeah. come out of we the surge binding out. closet yeah. and said like, hey guys, I'm totally a Truth Watcher. So we know that's going to be important going forward because Renarin and Lyft both have the power of progression to heal. Mm-hmm. We believe right now, though, that while Lyft was able to make someone come back from the dead, we do think, or we do know, that there is a time limit on healing. Yeah, because as, like, right before that moment, Wendell tells her, like, I don't think it's been, like, too long yet you can still help. So he specifically says that there's some kind of time circumstance in which she can perform this. So I would assume if it, like, takes too long, it could have to do with the the soul reaching the beyond. Yes, that we if saw that in Mistborn yeah. Secret History. The cognitive realm has kind of, like, a in-between. Yes. So if it's close enough, she can restore life, but as presumably if the soul has sort of reached the beyond already... Her, her power will not affect that. Do you want super random speculation? Sure. Okay, here's super random speculation. If Lyft were to travel to Skadriel, meet up with the cognitive <laughs> shadow that is Kelsier, because he decided not to go to the beyond, uh-huh. could she heal Restore him? Restore him to life? Yes. Ooh, weird. That's my question. Uh fans out there find us on the twitter find us on reddit find she us on facebook she would have to like make a body for him i think from Lyft, ew zombie kelsier yeah i think it would be like uh oh what was claude claude the oh, uh yeah the, the lifeless or yes whatever the it's lifeless called. yeah i think weird what if okay <laughs> this is like questions <laughs> we need rolling for. with this like really crazy speculation <laughs> cut all this out. what great. if we get further into the future when there's like more technology they're able to build like a robot body and then put, put calcium into it fair fair i th- i think the real thing is about the cognitive and spiritual realm being in sync with the physical realm so for example if someone dalinar well dalinar is a bad example because he's a radiant too but if uh adolin got his arm chopped off he has no stormlight himself but lift came around she should be able to heal that arm in the short term i think even if like adolin went years Without that arm, he grew into an old man, and then a edge dancer or truth watcher shows up and is like, "Hey, man, I'm just gonna heal." I don't think it would work. I think that yeah, I agree. There is something about the cognitive realm, spiritual realm, physical mm-hmm. realm needing needing to be in line. I agree. Think about yeah, like what you said the a couple episodes ago about Lopin being able to heal his arm because he still imagined himself as a man with two arms. Whereas, I and I really liked this call that you made, that Kaladin keeps his slave brands because it's become a part of who he is and how he thinks about himself. Versus, yeah. oh no, I guess that was their tattoos, just kidding. The tattoos, yeah. He, yeah. Well, he can't heal the slave brands and he can't get the tattoo put on over right, it to because, cover it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's for the same reason. Yeah. So, let's move on to the second power of... The Truth Watchers, which is Illumination. And we have not seen Renarin really use this 
power yet. Well, we haven't really seen him do anything. I think that when we go back and reread, Renarin is experiencing things as a truth watcher throughout his journey mm-hmm. that are going to make a lot more sense in the future. We just yeah, don't know enough right now. I think the only thing he really says about his power is that he sees as a truth watcher, which I am assuming, and this may have been confirmed somewhere that I don't remember, that he is able to see the future. So I feel like that would have to be a part of the surge of illumination, right? Like illuminating what is to come. But we also know that Shalon has illumination, and we haven't really seen her do that specifically with it. She is much more of, I think, the literal definition of this surge, which is light and sound and other wave forms. And she is a light weaver. That's her yeah. her order's name. Uh, and they have the power of illumination. Keep in so, mind that all of the orders are going to use the powers differently. Yeah. So I think that Shalon, the way we've seen her powers manifest as illusions, mm-hmm. uh, as characters, faces, whatnot, I don't know if Renarin's ever going to be able to do something like that. Yeah, does he, it have to do with, like, the resonance, do you think? Like, his ability to see into the future would be sort of a combination of, like, regrowth, allowing him to access sort of a, di- a different realm combined with illuminating yeah. that connection. So it's either... Stay with us here, people. We're getting a little complicated. Getting, yeah. But, so it's either that Renarin may be able to see the future or at least get little glimpses of it mm-hmm. because it is the resonance point yeah. between illumination and progression. Those two surges. Ooh, right? I mean, just saying that, you're illuminating progress, progress illuminating yes. the future. Yes, and that would make total sense as his resonance Yes. Point. Or the way that illumination works for Renarin is that it's more about viewing or seeing than it is about creating manifestations of light. I'm not Mm. 100%... Then he's just able to see the waveforms more clearly rather than manipulate them? Yes. That's interesting. So Shalon can create them, but Renarin is viewing them. Yeah. And I Ah. think that this is... Just going to be obviously explored more. There's so many people right yeah. now who are like, Oathbringer. Duh, Oath. duh. Uh, we get it. <laughs> but we are, are just trying to put together the underlying principles of these surges. We know that they work together to create a resonance point. That might be the kind of third power. Yeah. Or we, we also know we that also the powers know. aren't the same for exactly. each of the orders. Yeah. And since they are... They're, I mean, they're pretty broad, you know, just yes. like waveforms. Like, okay, that could be a lot of things, yeah. which is exciting because that means we have a lot of different things to explore in these books. One last thing that I want to say about Illumination is just that we know from Chris in the Arcanum Unbounded that there is a Yolish version of light weaving, and Yolish meaning from Yolin, which is, we think, the home planet of Hoid. So there's a Yolish version of light weaving 
that is related to cognitive and spiritual attributes in some way. And so this is probably what Hoyt is using. We've said a few times it seems like he has some illumination or light weaving capabilities in his storytelling. It's actually probably this older, maybe like original sort of version. Absolutely. The possibility that it is an original form of the power is obviously interesting because of what we talked about before with the yeah. shard blades all copy having like... Copy of a copy. Yeah. Facsimile of a sham. So it's possible that there was some ancient power from Yolin that was then copied as a copy as a copy and ends up being light weave or illumination mm-hmm. on Rashar. Just a theory. We're, we're speculating a lot. To the next one? Yeah. To the next one. Transformation. Now this is the surge that's shared by the order of light weavers and else callers. So Yasna and Shalon. Yes. Uh Shalon Sorry, and... did I say it in the wrong order? <laughs> that was my my brain was just like I was gonna follow up with respectively, but then it wasn't respectively, and I was like, wait, reverse. Uh but yes. Totally true. Shalon and Yasna are our light weavers and else callers in the story. But transformation as a surge is most commonly referred to... As soul casting. Yes, and that's obviously incredibly important and we're, to And we're going to talk more about soul casting a little bit later. Okay, so the ability to soul cast is to change matter from one form to another. Is that the simple enough? Yeah, I think that is really basic because there only able to change it into one of the ten essences on Rashar. And... So they can't make anything they want. Not every person can change into any essence. Uh, Excuse me, not every soul caster who has a Fabriel oh, can ch- change into every essence. Yeah. And from what we know so far about Yasna, which is very little, we know that she seems to have a strength or maybe an essence that she leans to using uh which is smoke we see her disappear True. boulder and smoke some, a couple times yeah so uh it does seem to be that while there are 10 essences there may be some that are easier to create than others yes because i think shalon does she do blood she, yeah she makes blood inadvertently but then when she's trying to make fire it's very difficult which is partially because she's very tired but could also be something there. I think let's kind of hold off on this one until we can talk a little bit more about Fabrials and soul casting a little bit later after we get through all the surges. Okay, that sounds good. Because our next one, the other surge of else callers, is transportation. Now, transportation is one of those powers that if you're familiar with other universes, other mythologies, other comic books, whatever, you would probably uh, label as teleportation because that's how it would appear from an outsider's perspective. Transportation is specifically tied to motion and realmatic transition. So the ability to transition between the realms. Exactly. And when I said teleportation, that's because Yasna, well, we, we assume that anyone with the ability of transportation has some ability to enter into 
the cognitive realm, move through the cognitive realm, reappear in the physical realm in a different place. Yeah. And while this takes a lot of stormlight, it's obviously a powerful ability that we see in the oath gates at the end of words of radiance oh true the Mm -hmm. major uh plot point is that they need to get the oath gate operational to save themselves from teleport themselves so they can literally teleport themselves from one place to another so we see that in kind of its fully functional form you know left by the heralds or whatever created by the knights radiant in those oath gates the ability to teleport from one spot to another could yasna appear or disappear anywhere in the world and then reappear at an oath gate maybe that could be something yeah Um, or it could be like the well of ascension she needs a yeah a shard pool a shard pool what's the more cosmere correct way to call it oh um perpendicularity there you go a perpendicularity i would assume i think that because she has the surge of transportation, she doesn't need a perpendicularity. Like, I think that's the perk. I think that it's something that will be explored more in the future. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Transportation is held by else callers. It's also held by will shapers. And that's one of those groups that we don't know anything about. We've seen no will shapers. Yeah. But their second surge is cohesion. Which, these last two, I, like, don't really understand. Um, It's described as strong axial interconnection. I don't know what that means. Do you? Well, no, (laughs) I do not. If someone out there is smarter than us and knows what that means, please tell me. (laughs) So let's introduce the the other one that's uh, that's confusing. Because we have cohesion... The strong axial interconnection. And we have tension. The soft axial interconnection. Which seems like when I'm just looking at those words, cohesion and tension, I'm just thinking it's it sounds very similar to adhesion and friction. So those two last powers, because we haven't seen much of the stone wards, will shapers, or... The bondsmiths using those powers. Yeah. We really don't have a great understanding of how they manifest, but I do think that they are different from adhesion and yeah, friction. Yeah, I mean, obviously they must be. We just don't know what they are yet. And just looking at the class, or excuse me, the orders that use them, will shapers and bondsmiths, I think that they're is a hint in the the names as well mm. that will become more clear as yeah. we see their powers manifest. Like interpersonal connection, since the bondsmiths, like he says he's going to unite people. Yeah, and will shapers. Ooh. I shape your will. Right, exactly. It's almost like the emotional powers on Scadriel. That's a great pull. Oh. That it could be, um, what is that? Like rioting and soothing? Rioting and soothing, totally possible. I like okay, that, okay. that idea. I like that. And it makes sense when, with what we know about Dalinar's mm-hmm. bondsmith powers, which right. is really just, is he, wants to un- he wants to unite people. <laughs> so he wants to unite people. How could he unite people? Through something like soothing. Right. And then the other one would be like rioting. Mm-hmm. Totally possible. 
those are our 10 surges and all the different orders that go along with them. So, yeah, surge binding, they're those 10 main powers that we have so far seen on Rashar. We know by word of Brandon that there are essentially 30 types of magic on Rashar, three sets of 10, uh, which I would assume is corresponding to those three shards. Um, we know that there are 10 aspects of void binding, just like the surge binding, and it's, it's often referred to that something including prophecy or foresight could be associated with that. I don't know if that's just the Voran church. Well, I think that might be the Voran church making it seem like something that's bad. Yeah. Because I think that, as we mentioned with Renarin, yeah. it's just, it's another power. But then I think we also have seen with things like uh, Odium and Ruin that we know that those types of powers have are predisposed to more foresight than others. So that's why I'm kind of like, uh, could be either one. To be honest, we don't, we don't know. know. <laughs> so. But we do know that there's 10 aspects of void binding. The other 10 that make up this 30, we really have no idea. But we believe that they would correspond with cultivation, the third shard. Right. So it Some kind people of... have suspected that it might have to do with the old magic. I don't really think so. That doesn't really fit to me. Um, especially because in the Arcanum Unbounded, or sorry, the Ars Arcanum in the back of Words of Radiance, Chris says that those last ten magic things might be something, quote, more esoteric than void binding, end quote. Um, and that old magic actually might be something completely different outside of those 30 things. Obviously, the powers and the use of those powers is Brandon Sanderson's strong suit. And so we are going to just keep exploring, keep seeing, and yeah. these powers are going to keep manifesting the more books that we get. Let's Should we do Fabrials and soul casting now? Yes, absolutely. Okay, Let's look at Fabrials because Fabrials are interesting. They are... In many ways, the copy of a copy of a copy, they are humans attempting to copy the powers and abilities of the Knight's Radiant. Yeah, so they're, it's very similar to the technology we start to see in Mistborn Era 2 at the end, where they've come up with these devices that allow other people and objects by themselves to use allomantic powers. So even if they're not an allomancer, they can take advantage of those abilities. That's kind of what a fabrile is. And I think that that is an important connection to keep in mind because mm -hmm. remember, all of these Cosmere stories are connected. It would make sense that there are some key parallels between the two major series in the Cosmere, which right now are the Mistborn series and the Stormlight Archive. So to see technology using magic in both of those, I think is important. Yeah. I think the more we see in Mistborn, it should be kind of a hint that something similar could happen on Rashar. Yeah, absolutely. I think because that's the series that we have the most in so far, it's nice to have that as sort of a template or a pattern 
to use then to look at the other worlds and see how the similar things might be manifesting there because they're all based on investiture. And many of the fabrials that we see, we mentioned before the half shards. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is a, a shield that is infused with stormlight and has the ability to stop a shard blade where anything else we talked about, it just passes right through. Yeah. But it's not shard plate. It's not as strong. It's not as powerful. It needs way more stormlight. It breaks way easier. It's man-made and created. Everybody knows where the half shards come from. Yeah, that's a great point. Because they're created in this world that doesn't really understand the fabrials that they have. They're an ancient technology that humans have lost knowledge of. But those half shards are a great example of uh, what they call an altering fabrial, one of which is an augmenter. So those half shards, they've essentially put gemstones in it that augment the strength of the shield. So an augmenter is any fabrial that increases something. We also see them in heat. Uh, we might see a cold one as well. Um, yeah, I think they mention as like for soldiers or something, like yeah. icing without ice, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then opposite of that would be a diminisher, which decreases something, which I believe we see one that uh, takes the pain out of a wound. So it decreases that pain. Another category of fabrials that we know of are paired fabrials. Um, and I think the most famous example of a paired fabrial that we see on Rashar are the conjoined fabrials of span reeds. Yeah. Where you have two devices that are linked up. So it's, it's one gemstone that's cut in half and then the ha one half is put on each pen and that allows both pens to do the exact same thing at the same time exactly so the way i think of it for the nerds back here on earth this is quantum entanglement when you are taking two subatomic particles and linking them in such a way that they move and operate in exactly the same way at exactly over the same distances. over great distances yeah exactly so i could take my pen with a span read write a letter to brooke you're totally awesome. See you next Cosmere Conversation. <laughs> and on her span read, it would, the pen, without would being touched by anyone. On its own. Yes. Yeah. And it would write out that message, and then Brooke could respond to me. Those are conjoined fabrials. Can I just give a quick call out? Sure. And I don't have a username, but someone on Reddit posted something that I thought was really funny. New span read, who dis? <laughs> and I've just been thinking about it all week. And. Wanting it would to definitely say it happen. to people, but I don't know anyone who would know it. So, news fan rain, who dis? Just to you, the fans. Yeah. The other way that paired fabrials can work is a reversed fabrial, which is the same basic thing. One gemstone split in half, put in two different places, but it causes an inverse reaction instead of a simultaneous reaction. Yeah, so we see this... In uh, the sort of contraption that Navani engineers to raise archers up and give them the high ground advantage by 
putting one half on the archer platform, one half uh, somewhere else, and lowering one so that the archer platform will raise. Absolutely. And these fabrials that are created in the modern Rishar are really just hinting at the power of the ancient fabrials. Yeah. And this is the field of study that Navani is famous for. She she is interested and funds and supports the artifabrians who do the research and the creation of these new fabrials. So another one of the most popular, I guess, uh, fabrials that we see are the soul casters. So we see Yasna with a soul caster and they are these devices that, as we said, have the ability to turn things into other things. So Yasna turns a boulder into smoke. Um, and in the Voren tradition, soul casters, one, are very rare. There's only a few that have been left behind from the time before humans remember. They haven't figured out how to make more soul casters. And those soul casters are considered holy by the Voren church. They're only able to be used by specific ardents who have been trained on them and they're only able to be used in secret and the most economically significant aspect of soul casting that is seen in rishar is the creation of grain you can literally create a grain with a soul caster and so all the armies are supported and the only reason they can maintain themselves in many situations is because of the ability to soul cast grain anywhere. Yeah, that's one of the biggest obstacles to warfare, is being able to feed your troops, um, historically, anyway. Yes. Uh, so that gives them a huge advantage in terms of feeding their army, and then they're also able to supply um, buildings for their army and shelter. Yes, and so the soul casting is incredibly powerful, but it also comes with a key downside. Yeah, apparently. we There's this one little gem of a sentence in Words of Radiance. Um, I can't remember if it's Kaladin or Adolin bursts in and sees these, you know, hidden mysterious ardents using their soul casters. And this is how they're described. Quote, Prolonged use of the soul caster had transformed the eyes so that they sparkled like gemstones themselves. The woman's skin had hardened to something like stone, smooth with fine cracks. It was as if the person were a living statue, end quote. So it would seem that through more and more use of a soul caster, either the user of the soul caster is kind of infected yeah with the things that they are changing or something yeah or they're like losing their identity in some way to the materials that they're working with and i don't know if that is just because they're doing it through an artificial means but i was like oh my god is this gonna happen to yasna well yasna was only faking remember 
Well, I know, but she has the surge of transformation. Certainly. I so thought it was, was tied like, specifically to just the, the fakes. Yeah, or yeah. The, the technology. Which I could definitely see being the case, and this is kind of the side effect of trying to imitate that power. And that's why it's kept so secret and shrouded in spirituality and the religion is because there is a very key downside which it, it seems like this person uh, that was seen was like becoming stone yeah. or pieces of them were becoming stone. So that hints at kind of the, the darkness that people may be flirting with in this yeah. world. Do you want to move on to the reason, really, that there's like, or one of the reasons that there's magic on Rashar? Yeah, source of investiture. Yes, let's look at the high storms and stormlight itself. So high storms, I like to think of them as Rashar's version of the mists on Scadriel. But taking form in a much, much more, more devastating way. Yeah. I mean, the mists are kind of violent, I guess, because you have those people that have mist sickness or whatever they call it before they turn into... But that's into... only not... That's not real. That's only well, in the story you think it's violent. Whatever. In reality, the mist is preservation it's, and everything yeah, is totally It's much fine. nicer than the high storms. High storms are very, very violent and they bring investiture... Through Rashar. That's how they infuse their spheres. Um, and then obviously we know that surge finders draw on that stormlight, that investiture to fuel their surge finding. Yeah, and from a storm perspective, it does seem to be different than our storms on Earth. And, and let's be honest, mainly fictional in terms of like properties of physics and whatnot. Yeah. Because. <laughs> Storms on spherical planets, uh, because of the Coriolis effect, are going to develop in circular patterns. And that's what, you know, you see if you look above, you have the eye of the storm in the center. From what I am aware of, the high storms instead cross Rashar like a wave. Yeah, they move in, well, they have a storm wall. Yes, that's how so, it's this wall moving yeah. across the, and there's no center point of the storm that's right. like calmer or anything like that. In fact, the way it's described is like, at the beginning of the storm, it's the most deadly, the most damaging, and then it gets weaker and weaker. As it goes. Yes. Yeah, and I think that makes sense because this storm is obviously not natural. True. So it doesn't move as a natural storm. Oh, it's the storm um, father. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, the high storms always move from east to west. Um, initially, people thought that a new storm started over at the origin in the east each time. But more modern scientific knowledge on Rashar, now um, ardents and storm wardens think that the storm is the same one that just keeps circling the world east to west, east to west, east to west, as you are in Alethkar. And this is hugely significant to the development of societies on Rashar because the power of the storm, the further east your society is, the closer to the beginning of the high storms, the more preparation the humans need to take to deal with these storms, 
the natural world is shaped and the creatures that exist are different in the east because they have to deal with this massive, powerful storm. I mean, we are easily talking about a storm that can pick up boulders and trees and, and fling things at great speeds. So, you know, on Earth... This is far beyond like a Cat 5 hurricane or something. Right. It's like a Cat 10. <laughs> but these high storms get weaker as they travel across the land. By the time you get to the furthest western cities in Rashar, the high storms are described much more like you would consider like a normal storm here on Earth. It's like, yeah, yeah you know, there was some rain and maybe like a little lightning or whatever, but it's relatively mild yeah nowhere near to the power and the fury that we see out in a left car and none of the destruction that comes with it so people in the west are going to build their cities differently and orient them differently and the natural world is going to be far far softer yes yeah oh, they yeah, have softer. right like their their grass and their plants don't um, have the same protective capabilities like we see Risen with her stupid grass that doesn't move. Um, and far more chickens. Animals, yeah, <laughs> chickens, which I just read is the Alethi's way of referring to any bird because they don't have birds in a Because if you think about it, a, what's a bird going to do in a high storm? Oh, God, a bird would be the first thing dead. Exactly. And so they don't have birds. In the east, because yeah, nothing like, could fly through a high storm. There's one in, like, a zoo that Shalon sees, and she's like, how come the only shell it has is, like, this tiny shell on its face? That doesn't make any sense. Like, it has no protection. Yeah. Um, but you'll hear things described as, like, green chickens. It's actually a parrot. They just don't know different names of birds, so they call them all chickens, which I think is hilarious. And these high storms are... The physical manifestation of the storm father, the spren in the cognitive realm. And we also know that there is a virtually endless amount of stormlight. Yeah. And so that hints at a connection to the spiritual realm as mm. well. So you have the three realms represented in a high storm. The physical, obviously, the rain and the wind and whatnot. The cognitive, the storm father, who is often depicted as traveling with the storm. Mm -hmm. And the spiritual, which is the investiture, the stormlight itself. And so this power of the storm is, of course, a huge plot point and, and active part of the series that is then counteracted in some ways, by the Everstorm that appears at the end of Words of Radiance. And we don't know entirely the devastation that that's going right. to cause. We do see it in Edge Dancer um, true, come, and true. it is said that it is actually weaker than the High Storm. When yeah. it's by itself. Yeah. When the two combined, it's devastating. Horrible. But we, we know so far, with no Oathbringer spoilers, that... The Everstorm began by the storm form Parshendi, originally clashed with the High Storm, incredibly devastating at the ends of Words of Radiance, and then in Edge Dancer, it's hit places with weakened power or, or less power yeah, than a traditional so High Storm. Yeah, it's not as powerful as the High Storm, but it's 
still dangerous because it's coming from the wrong direction. And they've literally set up their entire societies facing the other way. Yeah. So I think that one of the key aspects that's mentioned and hinted at is that the creme, it's like this kind of muck mm-hmm. that is doused uh, in any high storm that builds up over time and hardens. So if you build a building out of stone, that's totally awesome. Nice work there. But in a high storm, stone can still be broken. Boulders can come crashing through. But what has happened over centuries and centuries is that this creme is falling, this kind of muck, lands on those stone buildings and then hardens and becomes extra protection. But because it's always been, the storms have always been coming from the east, that creme buildup has oh. always been on the eastern side. I was just thinking more of that they've like built their cities like on the late side of the mountain. Oh, for sure. That, like that. that too yeah. as well. Whereas but, now the storm is coming from the side that they don't have protection on. Absolutely. So any type of physical barriers, they're going to orient their cities uh, to give protection from the high storm and not the ever storm. Yeah. But even the the buildup of like centuries and centuries of creme that was protecting yeah. them is now going to not, not be there as well with the Everstorm. So sure. that's so far what we really have seen from the devastation of the Everstorm is that it's hitting all of these places that are not protected. What we haven't seen yet and what I'm most interested in seeing is those cities in the West. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the Everstorm, does it start in the West? and uh, get less and less powerful as it goes east, as the yeah, high like storm does. Yeah, you've got to think, like, places like Shinovar, which are completely protected from high storms, man, that Everstorm has got to, like, devastate them. Now, we know that the high storm was part of the listener mythology yeah. as well, because they would actually go into a high storm originally to change forms. Yeah, it's part of their sort of tradition for changing forms. They would go out into the storm. They say that they have to sort of espouse the correct mindset for the form that you want to take, as well as attune the right rhythm of the form you want to take, and sort of hope that the storm brings you the correct spren, and that you can then emerge from the storm Uh, in your new form. And so with that ending of Words of Radiance where the Everstorm is summoned by the storm form Parshendi and the devastation that it causes in part is that it is going to have, the Everstorm is going to have a transformational impact on the listener species, the original Parshmen and the Parshendi on the Shattered Plains. This is kind of what I am wondering, because we know that inside the Everstorm, there's like the red lightning spren, uh-huh. and the spren that Esh and I was so afraid of. Yeah. Um, that, that comes from the Everstorm. And so the fear is that the Everstorm will continually cause the other... Parshmen to transform into the Voidbringers. Yeah. And that's going to play out in Oathbringer. 
Anything else we want to talk about magic on Rishar? Do we want to talk about the theory? We do want to talk about the theory and say okay. anything other than that. <laughs> no, I think we're good. Okay, so I uh, wanted to mention a theory that was thrown out on the Reddit by user Sildaris, S-Y-L-D-A-R-A-S. Sildaris threw out this theory a couple of weeks ago, maybe 10 days or so before Oathbringer. So not really uh, something that is going to spoil anything uh, because it, he came up with it or she came up with it before Oathbringer came out. So it's it's just looking at evidence from Way of Kings and yeah. Words of Radiance. But since I read it, I've like become obsessed with it. And I just finished my read of Words of Radiance. So definitely for that last little bit of reading Words of Radiance, I was like, ooh, ooh. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have an Oathbringer breakdown in a couple of weeks. We want people to be uh, reaching out to us on Twitter, Facebook, on the Reddit, whatever. Find us, talk to us, tell us your theories like this one uh, here because we're hoping to put together like an entire show of speculation and theories, just kind of go full hog wild, maybe drop our research a little bit for an episode and just let the theories rain down upon us. This one here is really great, and we're going to keep it pretty broad and not yeah. dive into all the different the aspects. This person does list some, they cite cite their sources and their evidence for this theory. We so if that. you're interested in more of that, check them out on Reddit. And the key theory that Sildaris drops is that Sildaris says specifically, quote, I believe that all forms of Risharian investiture have a significant role for rhythm or music, end quote. Music, rhythm, the key to investiture on Rishar. So the thought being that, like on Scadrial, all magic is from metal. On Nalthus, all magic is from color. And we don't really have that same overarching umbrella theme of investiture on Rashar yet. We don't know what it is. So this person's idea is that it's music. And and rhythm. And I yeah. think that this is something we are going to go back and look at Way of Kings. And you already caught parts mm-hmm. of it as you were looking at yeah. the Words of Radiance. And we're going to say it was here the entire time. It, this is just what I think. I don't know for certain. But I think we're going to go back and be like, he was leading us up to this moment when we realize that just like Scadrill has metal, just like Nalthus has color, Rishar has music and rhythm. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because even just off the top of your head, you can think of, obviously, the listeners and the Parshendi songs. Um, they attune to the rhythm yeah. of sorrow. The rhythm... So they're the oldest species yeah, on oh, true, Rishar, true. Good call. and they are the most connected to rhythm and music mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And then we see, you know, a couple places, Kaladin and Hoyd kind of bring music in, well, so it's an what interesting... Does Hoyd give Kaladin? A pipe. 
well, or not, some kind. Not, not a pipe, but like a... Not a pipe, like smoking people. We're not Gandalf style. <laughs> I here. was not saying that. I know. You meant like a pipe piper. A flute. A, a flute. He, he gives him a, a little flute uh, during Words of Radiance. So he is encouraging musical development in mm-hmm. Kaladin the Soldier, which mm-hmm. Kaladin thinks is weird. And Well, and I always, like, I never really got the point of that. Yeah, Because he gives it to Kaladin, and then Kaladin leaves it in his bunk... And then Hoyt is like, hey, whatever happened to that flute? And Kaladin's like, mm, I don't know, I forgot about it. But, like, Brandon makes a point of bringing it back up. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like, what? Why, why is this even, what? It just stands out, but it's, like, pointless. But. But it's not pointless. You, <laughs> yeah, if you have, if you're, like, thinking about this theory, it kind of gives you an extra little edge. Exactly. So the edge there would be that Hoyd, recognizing that, rhythm and music is key right wanted kaladin to develop his powers more by playing with music Mm -hmm. and through playing with music he was going to develop his powers now we see i think sill is probably the best uh sprint example of this because she is often depicted as dancing to her own oh that's true musical Uh uh sounds yeah um that she is you know sometimes portrayed as like a young girl with a cute little uh flowing dress and she's like spinning around and dancing yeah um as a metaphor she is often described as as moving in like a rhythmic way Mm -hmm. so i think that the idea that sildaris put out that rhythm and music is the key to understanding risharian investiture is super important. It's something I'm looking forward to looking at more yes. in the book. Just keep an eye out for it in Oathbringer as you're rereading your Way of Kings yeah. and your Words of Radiance. Just a theory. We don't claim this is true, but something fun, at least, to kind of keep an eye on. And if you have other theories like this, either for specific things or big world-changing things, toss them out to us. We want to create a fan theory episode in the future, and we hope to pull in a bunch of different aspects from the different worlds. It doesn't have to just be Rashar. I know we've been Rashar heavy the last couple of episodes uh, to celebrate, obviously. But anything, Cosmere Theory. Yes. Give us a shout out. You can always find us at Cosmere Convo anywhere, everywhere. Really appreciate the fans that have reached out. It's always nice to hear nice things. If you have a moment, let us know. I I have one question and one request. That's how I'm going to go out today. One question, one request. The question is, how do you guys feel about episode length? I get worried when the episodes are pushing an hour and a half or two hours. You know, I love me some long podcasts. But this is a lot of information. Often it's very heady or we're kind of all over the place a little bit. I don't know if people like hour and a half long episodes. We tried out last week shorter around 45 minute episodes and just split it into two. So in the future, would we like that? 45 minute episodes and then just split them and release them all at once. I'm not saying we're going to you know, tease it out over multiple weeks. I'd always drop the episodes together or are you like this is what i love i want long podcast episodes and i can pause them at my own will yeah uh and so please let us know how you feel about episode lengths 
any other things, my one request then is that you take a moment to give us a rating. I know it's super lame when podcasts take a moment to do this. However, it's incredibly helpful to getting more people interested in the podcast, in the Cosmere, and that's what we want starting these Cosmere conversations. Yeah, there could be fans out there looking for us, but they can't find us. Pretty much every week it happens. I don't want to leave any Cosmere fans out in the cold. I want them all with us. Exactly. (laughs) Like, they're the high storm out there, guys, and we have a bunker called this podcast. Yeah. Come join us. Come hang out. Thanks so much. Love it. Take us away, Brooke. Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. Mm -hmm.